Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Hello, listeners. It's December. Can you believe it? We made it through another year, negotiating the trials and tribulations of the seemingly never-ending pandemic. Managing the daily operations at work in addition to those at home isn't always easy, so let's take a moment to acknowledge the determination it sometimes takes to get through the day. Okay, let's get to the real reason you're listening, to hear what articles from the latest issue of Modern Optometry we have selected for you. We're keeping it short for this last episode of 2021, and what's coming up are two articles on the posterior segment. We'll begin with the one that continues on the topic we started talking about, specifically how COVID-19 kept retina patients out of one particular practice and led to poorer outcomes for many. Give a listen to Jessica Haynes, an optometrist at Charles Retina Institute in Germantown, Tennessee, on the true effect of lapses in care. In the retinal world, time matters. Certain conditions such as retinal detachment, acute symptomatic retinal breaks, and neovascular glaucoma require urgent care. But even chronic conditions such as wet age-related macular degeneration and diabetic macular edema call for early intervention and consistent follow-up to ensure positive visual outcomes. During the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, Lapses in medical care due to government-mandated shutdowns, overly crowded healthcare facilities, loss of health insurance or income, and even patient fear have led to poorer patient outcomes, particularly for those with retinal pathologies. I'll discuss the ramifications of the COVID-19 shutdown on our retina patients. Our retina clinic is always bustling. On any given day, we have up to four physicians, both MDs and ODs, seeing an average of 50 to 60 patients each. Throughout the day, the schedule continues to grow as outside providers refer patients for urgent evaluation for numerous conditions such as macula on retinal detachments, hemorrhagic posterior vitreous detachments with possible retinal breaks, and post-cataract surgery endophthalmitis. The urgent referrals are squeezed anywhere possible between our more routine patients, such as those with wet AMD, diabetic macular edema, or macular edema associated with retinal vein occlusions. These types of patients are requiring anti-VEGF injections every one to two months to maintain their vision. In addition, we have numerous patients who we are monitoring without treatment, such as those with non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy without macular edema, dry AMD, peripheral retinal degenerations, and choroidal nevi. These patients are scheduled every three to six months for monitoring. In the spring of 2020, our usual hustle and bustle came to a screeching halt as COVID-19 swept throughout the United States. Although our patient care was deemed essential and we never shut our doors, many patients chose to stay home to avoid potential exposure to the virus. A survey of retina specialists in Retina Today showed that patient volume dropped to as low as 40% of the pre-pandemic volume during May and June of 2020. 
Surprisingly, even the constant influx of emergent referrals slowed considerably. Routine care through our referring ODs and MDs had stopped, and patients weren't identifying emergent conditions on their own. Even if patients were experiencing visual symptoms, many weren't coming in, assuming it was something they could address after the pandemic had ended. Although the patient load has returned to normal, the effects of this lapse in care continue to reverberate through our practice more than a year later. Patients with AMD were perhaps hit the hardest. Early intervention with anti-VEGF therapy leads to better visual outcomes in those who convert from dry to wet AMD, and entering visual acuity is a significant factor in a patient's visual prognosis. A patient who presents with visual acuity of 20-40 at conversion is much more likely to maintain that legal driving vision than a patient who presents with initial visual acuity of 2200. Patients with wet AMD are also highly reliant on routine, sometimes even monthly injections to maintain their visual acuity. Unfortunately, this patient population is also older and more likely to delay care for fear of COVID-19. Stone et al. found that during the COVID-19 pandemic, those being treated with anti-VEGF injections for wet AMD experienced the greatest loss of vision compared to patients with DME and macular edema from retinal vein occlusions. They were also the least likely to have their vision return to normal once treatment was reinstated. This is due to the aggressive nature of choroidal neovascularization in AMD and the formation of subretinal scarring. Greenlee et al. showed that after lapses in anti-VEGF treatment for wet AMD, macular thickness can be restored to normal with resumed treatment, but visual acuity loss is often permanent due to submacular scarring. Our patients with diabetes face numerous challenges as well. This patient population tends to be younger than the wet AMD population, with many still in the workforce, which may be why diabetic retinopathy is the leading cause of blindness in the working age population. Recent conversations with my own patient base suggest loss of work and loss of health insurance has been a significant hurdle for these patients during the pandemic. Numerous patients have reported that their delays in care have been due to financial strain. A survey by the American Diabetes Association found that 12% of patients with diabetes experienced insurance disruption during the pandemic. Another crucial factor for patients with diabetes is fear, as they are at a higher risk of severe complications of COVID-19. Unfortunately, this has stopped many patients from keeping their retina and routine ocular health appointments and has even delayed their systemic care. The ADA survey reported that 43% of patients with diabetes delayed routine medical care during the pandemic, and 50% of those who did, did so out of fear of COVID-19. We are still seeing patients with diabetic retinopathy who haven't been seen for more than a year due to pandemic-related reasons. Many of these patients are coming in in poorer systemic health than they were before the pandemic, and they have been without follow-up for far too long. This puts them at increased risk for sight-threatening complications such as macular edema, macular ischemia, traction retinal detachments, vitreous hemorrhage, and even neovascular glaucoma. As the pandemic continues, the question remains, how can we positively influence our patients' retina health during this time? 
For my patients with intermediate stage AMD, I do recommend the 4C home monitoring program. It uses the concept of hyperacuity to detect metamorphopsia as consistent with the conversion from dry to wet macular degeneration. The at-home monitoring system alerts the physician when conversion is detected, and it provides elderly patients with a safe means of monitoring their vision at home between office visits. Longer-acting anti-VEGF agents such as Bayaview, approved for exudative AMD, and currently in clinical trials for DME, may decrease the burden of follow-up for these patients. In addition, new delivery systems such as the anti-VEGF port delivery system, SUSFEMO, which has just recently been approved for exudative AMD, may be considered to give patients longer follow-up times. Such technology is just one way we can adjust to the needs of our patients during this ongoing health crisis. Fear of COVID-19 is real, but risk of vision loss without care is also a crucial consideration and we must strive to stress the importance of follow-up care, both ocular and systemic, to our patients. We must remain accessible to and open with our patients and provide them with a safe environment in which to seek care. Educating patients to recognize signs or symptoms that require emergent care is also crucial. With all of this put together, we have a better chance of preserving vision. Have you noticed a drop in patient volume due to a fear of COVID-19? If so, what are you doing about it? Email us at kroman at bmctoday.com and let us know. Ready for the last article of the episode? We'll have that for you right after a short break. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. All right, buckle up because in Rava Kaznabish, an associate optometrist at Cohen Eye Institute in New York, is about to finish out the episode. Here's her crash course, or refresher depending on where you are in your professional journey, on diabetic retinopathy. Diabetes mellitus is the fastest growing, chronic, non-communicable disease worldwide. One study predicted that the total number of people with diabetes would rise from 171 million in the year 2000 to 366 million by the year 2030. According to the World Health Organization, roughly 422 million people worldwide have diabetes. Knowing that we will encounter a continually increasing number of patients with this disease, it behooves us as optometrists to prepare ourselves as best as possible to be able to com competently and successfully manage and co-manage these patients when they inevitably end up in our chairs. As part of that preparation, let's quickly review how diabetes affects the eyes before we cover what to do about it once it does. Patients with poorly controlled blood sugar are at risk of developing what's called diabetic retinopathy, a complication of diabetes that damages the blood vessels of the retina. There are two main stages of diabetic retinopathy, DR, non-proliferative, NPDR, which is the early stage, and proliferative, PDR, which is the advanced stage. Retinal findings further classify stages by degree of severity. Diabetic macular edema, DME, 
is the swelling and thickening of the macula and is the most common cause of vision loss in people with DR. It is estimated that 7.7 .7 million Americans have DR and of those, 750,000 have DME. The classification of DME that was historically defined by the Early Treatment Diabetic Retinopathy Study, ETDRS, on the basis of fundoscopic presentation alone has now evolved to include OCT classification, thanks to the advancement of diagnostic testing. Clinically significant macular edema, or CSME, as defined by the ETDRS, requires meeting one of the following criteria. Thickening at or within 500 microns, half disc diameter, of the center of the fovea, hard exudates at or within 500 microns, half disc diameter, of the center of the fovea, with associated thickening, and or one disc diameter of thickening that is within one disc diameter of the center of the fovea. Using the OCT to classify DME, a vast majority of clinical literature divides DME by the involvement of the fovea. Retinal thickening located within the central subfield zone, one millimeter in diameter, of the fovea is considered center-involving DME, and retinal thickening outside the central subfield zone of the fovea is considered non-center-involving DME. The International Council of Ophthalmology suggests that an existing diagnosis of mild to moderate NPDR with BCVA less than or equal to 2040 warrants a non-urgent referral to a retina specialist, while an existing diagnosis of severe NPDR, PDR, and DME warrants an urgent referral. Clinically speaking, in the presence of non-center involving DME with good glycemic control and low possibility of progression to PDR, observation of subclinical DME is not unheard of. The Diabetic Retinopathy Clinical Research Retina Networks Protocol 5 study concluded that patients who had good visual acuity, a baseline of 20-25 or better, and center-involving DME, and were only observed, maintained good vision when compared to their counterparts who underwent intravitreal injections or laser photocoagulation. The study found no significant difference in visual acuity of a period over two years when comparing patients who underwent treatment with intravitreal drugs, 16% VA loss, laser photocoagulation, 17% VA loss, or observation only at 19% VA loss. Laser photocoagulation can exacerbate DME in some individuals. However, according to the American Optometric Association's Evidence-Based Clinical Practice Guideline, Eye Care of the Patient with Diabetes Mellitus 2nd Edition, because the relative risk of vision loss in patients without high-risk characteristics is low, treatment of center-involving DME should be considered before laser photocoagulation is used. When deciding whether to refer a patient to a retina specialist or to observe, knowing the etiology of DME is critical. OCT imaging classifies DME into one of three types, diffuse thickening, cystoid macular edema, or serous retinal detachment. From a pathophysiology standpoint, Diffuse thickening DME results from inflammation and oxidative stress due to hyperglycemia, which causes a breakdown of the inner blood retinal barrier that increases vascular permeability and propagates the production of VEGF. With cystoid macular edema, prostaglandins and inflammatory cytokines cause intraretinal cysts to form. Serous retinal detachments may be a result of increased permeability of the choriocapillaris 
possibly caused by the breakdown of the outer blood retinal barrier through the permeable external limiting membrane. This type of DME has the worst visual prognosis. Although anti-VEGF therapy remains the gold standard of DME treatment, it is oftentimes used in tandem with focal grid laser photocoagulation and our corticosteroid implants and injections. Current literature has begun to highlight the variable presentation of DME on OCT as it relates to a more vascular versus inflammatory etiology. This in turn assists retina specialists in tailoring a more targeted treatment option for optimal visual outcomes for patients. Ultimately deciding whether to refer or observe a patient is dependent upon clinician comfort level as well as experience. For patients with glib glycemic control and minimal subjective reduction in vision, some retina specialists who receive referrals of subclinical DME may elect to observe and follow up in six weeks to determine the best course of action. The common consensus among retina specialists whom I frequently refer to is that the treatment versus observation method is closely dependent upon glycemic control, hemoglobin A1c of 7% or less, systemic comorbidities, and the result of a fluorescein angiography study. Retina specialists use fluorescein angiography to help determine the extent of damage to the retina and of subclinical or clinical DME, and to evaluate the risk of progression to PDR. Once the patient is at a point where DME is resolved and good glycemic control is maintained, retina specialists will relinquish the patient back to the referring OD. However, even with resolution of DME, it is not uncommon for referring ODs to alternate dilations with the retina specialist, especially in cases of recalcitrant DME. Retina specialists tend to follow DME patients every six to eight weeks for dilation and possible treatment, with the aim to treat and extend the follow-up window. Bearing this in mind, most ODs will aim to follow severe NPDR or very severe NPDR patients every two to four months, thereby alternating dilations with the retina specialist and making sure patients do not get lost to follow-up, as can recur on rare occasions. Many advances in imaging allow clinicians to screen patients with diabetes before they develop DME or experience a reduction in vision. For example, OCT angiography allows us to visualize blood vessels to the level of the carrier capillaris, which gives us the ability to determine the possibility of progression from NPDR to PDR. By gaining and maintaining a deep understanding of DR and its stages, as well as treatment options, ODs can play a critical role in the diagnosis and management of the 366 million individuals who may develop diabetes in the next 10 years. Furthermore, staying up to date on new medications and drug delivery methods will broaden the scope of DME prognosis, responsiveness to treatment, and long-term management. By promoting communication between referring ODs and retina specialists and working with patients to help them understand the ramifications of DME, we may be able to minimize the long-term detrimental effects that diabetic retinopathy has on the population. Even if you already had your own set of guidelines for managing patients with diabetic retinopathy, it never hurts to keep an open mind and get another practitioner's perspective on things. You may end up learning something new, changing your approach, or engaging in discussion with others that ultimately leads to a reworked set of guidelines. Well, that's a wrap on the Mod Pod for 2021. Let's all enjoy the holidays as we coast through the rest of the year. Try to take some time out for some self-care, 
set those New Year's resolutions, and let's all hope for a brighter 2022. Until next time, be well.